Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to uh, the 15th chapter of Luke's record of the Acts of the Apostles. Um, Maybe you can see something about my strategy uh, about moving Romans to Sunday morning, that uh, those first four verses about being married to Christ were, I felt, essential before we went into um, the the three messages that you heard after that. I, I, I said... I wanted you to, whatever response you may, be a response that's made from relationship, not from guilt. And so that's what I try to do those first two uh, Sundays in September, is to point you to the fact that you are safe and secure in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You are indeed married to another. So I wanted to do that on Sunday morning, and so that's why, thus I shifted um, uh, Acts here, and we just taken a little bit longer in Acts than I thought, but... um, I do want to wrap this up tonight, Acts 15 up tonight, by pointing you in the direction of these last uh, six verses or so. Um, the, the, the controversy that is the real focus of Acts 15 is over. That subject of the Great Jerusalem Council has been dealt with. Um, the Judaizers has been, have been set to flight. Uh, the church has been solidified around the great doctrine of justification by faith alone. And the church has been informed um, of the position that this Christian church uh, adopts and believes and the one that we still hold uh, 21 centuries later. But the, the chapter closes off with a somewhat of a related event. It is not um, um, germane to the, to the council itself. But there, it is certainly connected, um, because what you get in these last six verses is the commencement of the second missionary journey. And I think you know that, that uh, the book of Acts records three missionary journeys of Paul. Well, this is the beginning of the second one. Now, let me read you what happens as this one is about to begin in verses 36 through 41. Then after some, da- after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now, this little episode um, that is, concludes chapter 15 is not exactly what you would call a happy one. Actually, it's a rather embarrassing one in the life of the Christian church because you see uh, two of the most visible and public leaders of the church in quite a little squabble. Um, as this second missionary journey is about to get underway, um, as you can tell, it's simply that Barnabas wants to take John Mark Paul is determined not to. As a result, they fight over Mark. John Calvin called it a a melancholy disagreement. 
<laughs> well, it's worse than that, ladies and gentlemen. It's much worse than that. Actually, if you look at verse 39, you'll, you'll see the word contention in verse 39. The Greek word that is translated contention there is the word paroxysm. It's, uh, we get our English word, paroxysm, directly from that Greek word. Uh, do you know what a paroxysm is? It's an outburst. It's, uh, it's sharp, fiery, sparky words. Um, I mean, this was, this was no um, uh, tete-a-tete, ladies and gentlemen. This is the contention that grew so sharp. You know, there's an interesting statement back in chapter 14 when um, they are in Lystra, and the people of Lystra are convinced they're gods, that is Paul and Barnabas, and they, they start to worship them. And in verse 15, they, they try to stop them from worshiping them with these words. Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. Well, they're proving that in this little incident here in, um, in the close of Acts chapter 15. Uh, they are proving that they indeed are just as uh, bent towards sinning as the rest of us, ladies and gentlemen. And one of the reasons that I didn't want to avoid this little beignet is... Because I, I think it gives us a little dose of reality. Um, I, I think sometimes we, we read the scriptures through rose-colored glasses and, and see all these great saints and what they did. And they are great saints. And I'm not trying to diminish their value whatsoever. But, um, gang, they had a fight. A pretty ugly little fight. I showed you my book. Uh, I brought it in here a couple, three weeks ago about the title of, of which was Great Church Fights. Well, here's another one. Here's a... Here's a fight between Paul and Barnabas, neither of them willing to yield. Now, you've never done anything like that, have you? Not with another brother, have you? Here they are, sharp words are exchanged, and both of them are unwilling to yield. Now, let's choose a side. Okay, let's don't. Um, it was interesting as I studied this passage, because I read, I don't know, seven, eight, nine commentaries on this passage, and you would see the commentarians choose a hero and then try to uh, defend their choice as to why Paul was right or why Barnabas was right. And, and they, would, they would construct these, these fanciful things as to why, um, why Barnabas was right as opposed to Paul and, and vice versa. But instead of choosing sides, here's, here's the approach I'd like to take. They probably had blame on both of their skirts. Um, we, we know a little bit about both of these men, and, and um, I, I'm going to spend most of my time on Barnabas because I think, I think you know a, much more about Paul, so I'm going to tell you more about Barnabas tonight. But um, Paul, just briefly, what we know about him is probably that he was a bit um, impetuous, um, perhaps a tad overbearing. I like people like that. Um, they're some of my favorite people in the whole world. Um, but um, what we know about his personality, we can see him in a situation where he is unbending. Now, it was Barnabas, of course, who had caved in, we, we looked at that when we looked at the, the other parts of Acts 15, it was Barnabas who had caved in to Peter and had joined in this, 
this rebellion uh, with Peter in league with the Judaizers and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles and all that business. And perhaps, of course we're not told, but perhaps um, much of the problem that we find related here was Paul's anger over the fact that Barnabas had caved in. Again, we don't know that, but uh, he's certainly resentful or, or could be uh, resentful that Barnabas had shown such duplicity. Uh, or perhaps it's Barnabas who is a little ticked that uh, he's been moved to the he's been moved off center stage, and Paul has now occupied his position. We we don't know, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, obviously, but all those factors could have played in there. Um, you can make a case for either of these men. Let me make the uh, Pauline case for a moment. Um, who could blame Paul for being so um, um, down on John Mark? John Mark was a deserter. He had, he had failed Paul. He gave up. He couldn't handle it. He, he, uh, he chickened out. He was a mother's boy. He, uh, he was a coward. And this work is awfully serious that Paul is committed to. And you just don't commit it to Mark types. I mean, you've got to get... You gotta get committed here. And if you're not committed, then, then you ought not be a part of this. And, uh, in defense of that position, um, I'll uh, rationalize it by reading you a verse of scripture, which is what we always like to do. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. <laughs> Anybody got a bad tooth in the room? Well, you're putting your confidence in a, in a weak kneed man. It's like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. In fact, Jesus is the one who said, if you put your hand to the plow and turn back, you're not worthy of this whole enterprise. That's a pretty good argument, don't you think? Would you? Would you want a man like Mark on your team? Um, God gave up, but now he comes back, you know, and says he's sorry. And... Um, Wants a second chance, evidences perhaps some repentance, and he's um, really embarrassed by what he did. And, and uh, can't you just see old Barnabas uh, um, putting his arm around John Mark and saying, Paul's just mean. You know, he just got a mean streak in him. So you just, you just come on and go with me. I'll take you with me. You know, there's a, there's a case to be made for Barnabas and, and uh, his position. What about mercy? Hmm? I mean, does, does anybody ever get a second chance? Um, maybe Mark was more mature now. Um, you know, what about that, that, that description of Jesus um, that talks about that he, a bruised reed he wouldn't break? He wouldn't quench a smoldering flax. I mean, gentleness, compassion, part of the uh, overall makeup of the Savior. So which position do you like? Which one of those, which one of those uh, approaches would you take? You know, guys, um, I, I'm no psychologist nor the son of one, but I'm telling you, a lot of what goes on in the Christian church can be explained with insights such as these. There are certain people in this room who would more readily and more quickly and more comfortably identify with the position of Paul 
There are others of you, you weak, sniveling folk, you, uh, <laughs> who would more readily and more quickly and comfortably identify with the position of Barnabas. Who's right? Who's wrong? I mean, I've given you, a, I think, a fairly good justification for both of their positions. And, and I think so many times, the, the problems that exist among Christians are created because we view situations only through the grid of our own gift mix. That is, if you're a prophet, then you can only see blacks and whites, but if you've got the gift of mercy, you see nothing but beautiful shades of gray. But does that make you wrong and the prophet right, or the prophet wrong and you right? It's one of those um, dynamics of working with people that have different gift makeups, ladies and gentlemen, that that I think is a, is a real um, challenge to the church, but I think you see it unfolding right here in this incident. And it led to a fairly decent little squabble with, um, with the two of them. And uh, although I will say this, there is a hint. Where is it? It's in 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn this, but um, there's, there's a hint that they kind of got it worked out. In 1 Corinthians 9, there's this statement. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, and he says... Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Now, my point is, he seems to be talking rather nicely about Barnabas, and who wouldn't? You remember who this guy was? Barnabas? Uh, by the way, that's not his real name. His real name is Joseph, or Joseph. Barnabas was a nickname. Um, and you know what his nickname meant, don't you? His name, he was the son of encouragement. Now, guys... This is a guy that was so um, diligent in the exercise of his spiritual gifts that people gave him a nickname that identified his spiritual gift and began to call him that instead of his real name. They didn't call him Joseph, they called him Barnabas. Oh, son of encouragement. You remember some of the things that he did? I mean, wouldn't you like to have a nickname like that? Oh, there's old Merciful Jimmy. <laughs> Why do you laugh? <laughs> There, I mean, but the, 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 the faithful exercise of his gift led to his nickname, which became his name. You remember in Acts chapter 4, when we first meet Barnabas, when we're told that his name means son of encouragement, he's the one that sells his land and lays it at the apostles' feet. How about Acts chapter 9, when, when the, the rest of the church was a little bit skittish about Paul? You know, he's the one that did, you know, we don't want him in our midst. No, we don't like it, boy. And who was it that went to bat for him? Barnabas. And ladies and gentlemen, where would we be tonight if Barnabas hadn't gone to bat for Paul? If somebody hadn't exercised their gift of encouragement, where would we be? Where would the Christian church be without Paul that Paul would have never made it had it not been for Barnabas exercising his gift of encouragement? You know what, ladies and gentlemen? The most infrequently exercised gift in the body of Christ, in my opinion, is the gift of encouragement. The most frequently exercised gift, actually, which is not a gift, is the gift of discouragement. Throwing uh, damp water on stuff. But guys, here's a man who, uh, in Acts chapter 4, he sells his land. In Acts chapter 9, he, he paves the way for Paul to, to enter into the fellowship of, uh, of, the, of the Christian church. Then, I, in fact, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to see this one. This is in Acts chapter 11. Um, uh, I just want you to see what the reputation that Barnabas had built. 
this is in Acts chapter 11, verses 23 through 24. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and he had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Now, guys, there he is doing his job again, exercising his gift in verse 23. Encouraged them all with the purpose of heart. And then he's described in verse 24 as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, guys, one of the things that you need to note, and I, and I, and I think that is hopefully an encouragement to you. Here's a man who is a good man, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, who had a real fight with the Apostle Paul. You know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that's a good thing, and I'm not saying that we ought to celebrate fights. But I'm, cel- I'm telling you, in, uh, if you know anything about the doctrine of total depravity, you've got to expect some of that. You've got to expect men who are good men, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, you've got to expect them on occasion to act like donkeys. Because you have been ravaged by sin. Just, I mean, we've, we've all been ravaged by sin. Here is a man that at one instance, he is described with these glowing terms... And then over here in Acts 16, he's fighting with the Apostle Paul. <laughs> well, I, I like encouragements like that. But, uh, but anyway, um, in the midst of him exercising all of his spiritual gifts, um, um, he's the one that gives John Mark the, the, the second chance and, and takes him over to Cyprus with him. And um, uh, Mark conceivably makes the promise that he'll do better. Uh, but Paul hears all that sniveling from Mark, and he says, No! We're not going. Now, that was the man, of course, that is Paul, who reacted so violently. Uh, that's the man, Paul, that is, who wrote this text. When any man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, um, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. How about that? Paul wrote that but didn't live by that. Anybody in here believe anything you don't live by? Anybody in here, in here believe things that you don't quite live up to? Neither did Paul. Now, guys, I'm not trying to give you excuses to not live up to things that you believe. I'm just saying to you that in the midst of having um, uh, failings among us, that, that ought not throw us for a loop in the Christian church. Here's a man that says, if you catch a man overtaken in a fall, then you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Sure, Paul. Aren't you the one that kicked a mark out and said you couldn't go with you? You could do that. You could say, you know, and in fact, I don't know that I've said this much from the pulpit, but I should say this a whole lot from the pulpit. Just because I'm not living it doesn't give you an excuse not to live it. I mean, it's still true. Whether I live it or not. So uh, the truth is something to emulate whether the guy who taught it uh, lives it or not. And you see that unfolding in, in the, this instance with Paul. Um, didn't, didn't live up to what he wrote. Didn't practice what he preached. Oh, my. Thank God Barnabas did. But, you know, he's the one 
who caved in with Peter and wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. Um, now, I, I tell you all that, and I want to um, leave you with about three applications, because I think there's something very wonderfully practical about this story. I wanted you to see the, 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 the story and know the issues that surrounded it. But um, let me leave you with what I think are some, some lessons for us in this passage. First of all, one of the beauties of the book that you hold in your lap, ladies and gentlemen, is that it tells you the truth, warts and all. One of the reasons that I am so convinced that what you have in your lap is the absolute mind of God as black words on a white page is because it doesn't hide you from the embarrassing, the embarrassing chapters, the embarrassing incidents in the life of the church. Gang, if we were going to create something, do you think that we'd tell them how everybody failed, all the leaders failed? Now, we'd keep that to ourselves. But here's a book that gives you the unvarnished truth about all of its heroes. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, it's only something that was true that would tell you what David did with Bathsheba. Uh, if I wanted to hoodwink you, you know, I'd tell you all this glowing stuff. But this book um, tells you all about their heroes, all about the models. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, these men were no angels. Interestingly enough, you need to know that conversion does not change your personality. When you come to Christ and get converted, you don't get a new personality. What you get is the responsibility to remove sin out of that personality. If you're a little bit overbearing and, and a little bit... Um, uh, um, <laughs> let's just stick with overbearing. Um, if you're a little, I, I just want you to know that'll, bring, that'll come right into the kingdom with you. And that the responsibility now is to drain all the sin out of that personality so that God can use that personality to, to maximize his own glory. But you don't get a new personality. And what you find here is converted men, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, you know, at points, really embarrassing us. Not impeachably. Um, I all, in my mind, I always make a... Uh, a distinction between an impeachable sin and a non-impeachable sin. You know, there are some, ladies and gentlemen, that just impeach you, in my opinion. Um, but there are others, you know, that don't run you off, but it certainly shows that you are no angel or that we're no angels. Um, <laughs> I um, One of my greatest fears is... is <laughs> is acting ugly in the car, only to find out that the person I just acted ugly to is a member of this church. <laughs> and I want you to know, that happened about four, oh, about four months ago. It was right up here at, uh, uh, at um, what's the name of that road? Johnson and, and uh, Wolf River. And I wanted to turn right to come to church from my home. And, and um, there was this lady. You know, you can turn right on red in the state of Tennessee, folks. <laughs> just want you to know that. And apparently she didn't know that. Uh, or she was on her phone, um, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, and, and so we're in the right turn lane, and you know the light's red, and nobody's coming, and you know she just sits there, and and so I very sweetly and and calmly and and uh, and and glowingly um, sat on my horn, 
And then as she turned around the corner, you know, I whipped around her and, <laughs> and her window was down and mine was down. And <laughs> and at that moment, she realized that I was no angel. <laughs> but guys, uh, you know, that that's something that ought to be not not, not my not my, I mean, but the fact that good godly men are not perfect men, ladies and gentlemen, they're just good godly men. Uh, there's a second application. First of all, my first one is, the, the, the one, the one of the reasons that I love this book is that it gives you the unvarnished truth. It tells you the truth about its heroes. Only a, only a true book would do that. Secondly, God overrules in this very embarrassing event and gets glory for, his, for himself even through this ugly event. You get two teams that spread out. You know, one heads to Cyprus and the other heads to basically Europe. They end up in Europe. Um, because God overruled and brings good out of that which was ugly. Now, guys, please, again, I'm not trying to ask you to use this as an excuse for uh, Christian quarreling uh, so that God can get good out of it. Uh, we're still responsible uh, to avoid that. But I'm telling you, God overrules our uglinesses even to, bring, to get glory for himself. And you see him in sovereignly overruling and doing that here. Now, um, Related to that, guys, and, I, and this is where I want you to, ha, not, not only does he split the team up and they head off in two directions and so twice as much is accomplished. Not only does that happen, but a few other things happen that I want you to see as we close. First of all, um, here's the first thing or piece of good that comes out of this. This John Mark that Paul refused to take with him is the John Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. You know what the first book of the New Testament in terms of historical dating, uh, the first book that has the earliest date attached to it, is the Gospel of Mark. Now, guys, how does that happen? How do we explain uh, this guy who was an embarrassing failure, a coward, a mama's boy, um, and a... Um, and a turncoat, and all that business. How do we explain the fact that that's what he was, but now he's recovered? Do you, do you think that perhaps it was uh, Paul's firmness that forced him to grow up? Maybe. Or maybe it was, it was uh, Barnabas' mercy that encouraged him and kept him from giving up on the whole thing. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was both. Maybe Bart and Mark did need a, a swift kick in the rear end. And maybe he need people to come alongside him and, and encourage him in his, in his failing. You know, gang, that's a piece of beauty that the body of Christ has performed in the life of Mark. Oh, that it would perform that piece of beauty in the lives of all of us. There are times that our... Um, our performance is less than sterling, and we need the good swift kick, and we need the mercy at the same time. Um, that's, the, that's the second good. Not only did the, was the effort doubled, we got a gospel out of this. That is, we got, a, we got a, one of the records of the life of Jesus Christ. By the way, I meant to mention this earlier. Paul and Barnabas were also cousins. That's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4. Um, you might want to watch out for nepotism, but uh, anyway, that, maybe that was one of the reasons that, that um, 
Barnabas took him. But there's one other thing that I want you to say, and then we're finished. Um, if you've got your Bibles open, you can uh, turn with me to 2 Timothy. Chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, let me begin reading at verse 9. Now, you know, the, these are the pastoral epistles. Most of them are, are written from jail. Um, I, I'm, I can't say this with dogmatism, but I'm fairly certain that 2 Timothy was one of those written from jail. Paul is at the close of his life. He's at the close of his ministry. Things are downhill from Paul, for Paul. And look at verse 9. Be, jil- be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Christians for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. That is, I, says Paul, I am alone. And then he says in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. For ministry. Isn't that neat? These two guys that that so different in years past had this paroxysm and ugly scene that took place between them. A few years later, that's all healed. And um, the one person that Paul asks for is Mark. How, the, um, how grace has healed their, their relationship uh, to the point that Paul has forgotten all about that incident and longs for Mark to be with him so that um, Mark can minister to him. Guys, um, God overrules. He brings a gospel out of this. He restores a friendship and he divides the work. It divides the work so that, or not divides and multiplies the work. By making it into two, uh, two teams. All of that, uh, that once began as a pretty ugly event, ends in something that should be a, um, uh, a, a trophy of how relationships and problems should, be, uh, uh, should result even after a blow-up between us. You know, guys, um, here's our solution. We get angry at each other. We find ourselves in another church. That's what we do. We, uh, we disagree about something. I'm writing you off, buddy. And I'm going to go find myself another, another place. It happens at Gracie Van, ladies and gentlemen. And yet, here's two men who... Um, who have solved the difficulties, put it back together, and have a sweet ministerial relationship. I think that is absolutely model for the rest of us as we seek to uh, work side by side in the same cause, knowing that our, our sin natures is going to clash, and yet there, are, there is uh, ways to heal those relationships, put them back together, and go on for useful ministry. That's what I would like to leave with you as we close the night. That's good. <clears throat> Our Father, I do thank you for uh, every story that the Scripture contains. This one has its own reasons for being there. It's, um, it's uh, on the surface, a somewhat embarrassing episode in the life of the church. And yet, O oh God, we see that even this is something that you overrule 
to bring glory for yourself. And Lord, might we find that in the midst of our disagreements, in the midst of our, um, our flare-ups, our paroxysms, that you would aid us in putting those things aside, uh, handling our sin appropriately and biblically, and then healing the relationships and, and moving on in the ministry together. Oh, God, uh, might that be true. Might grace reign in every relationship that we have together in this church. We commit ourselves to that goal and praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to pull it off. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.